Before we get into today's podcast, let me remind you that I'm organizing a trip to France in April 2024. It's a trip designed especially for people who are excited about Texas wine. There will be 10 travelers, and we'll spend 10 days exploring southern France from Marseille to Bordeaux. We'll visit a bunch of wineries and vineyards, enjoy the foods of each region, and see some important cultural sites too. If that sounds like something you'd like to do, email me for more information or check out my blog post on France 2024 at thisistexaswine.com. And don't wait because the trip is already halfway sold out. Welcome to This Is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 68. My guests today are Sheremy Law Aho and Todd Aho. In 2020, they launched a wine brand called Sheremy Wine, and they've been on a roll when it comes to brand building. You might have seen a big social media push over the summer with tastings happening across the state because now they're available in Central Market. But first, we'll cover some Texas wine news. I've got some scoop on Signor Vineyard's winemaker. There was a recent article about Texas wine versus cannabis, and news of a new Texas wine brand was recently shared on Good Morning America, plus my reflections on Texas wine at the 18th Annual Texom Conference. Whether you're a new listener or a returning listener, welcome to This is Texas Wine. The Oregon Wine Press is a regional wine publication that showcases news about the Oregon wine industry. Their August edition had an article about Eric Weisinger, winemaker for Signor Vineyards in Fredericksburg. Eric is based in Oregon, where he has his own winery called Weisinger Family Vineyards. It's in the Rogue Valley in southern Oregon. His family was actually some of the pioneers of the Rogue Valley, which became an AVA in 1991. Eric also operates a custom crush business where he makes about 10,000 cases of wine for five clients. Eric's family and the Signor family go way, way back. It actually all started in Conroe, Texas, but then the Weisinger family set out for Oregon in the 70s and founded Weisinger Family Vineyards in 1988. I don't know too much about Signor Vineyard, so I was glad to read about the property and find out what Eric is doing there. Signor Vineyards is located in Fredericksburg along the 290 Wine Road and is more or less across the street from Grape Creek. Clay Signor purchased the 200-acre property in 2015. It includes a 17-acre vineyard, an old farmhouse that is now Joanna's Market, a home that is now the tasting room, and plenty of livestock. According to the article, the first year they opened in Texas, Signor sold exclusively Oregon wine. Then starting in 2016, they trucked Texas grapes to Oregon for Eric to make into wine. Then they'd ship the cases back to Texas to sell at Signor. Starting in 2021, the Texas fruit was processed in Texas at a rented space. Now Signor just has finished building a production facility there on site, and it has space for production of up to 30,000 cases. Signor currently makes about 14,000 cases of wine each year. About 60% of that 
is from Texas Fruit, from their estate vineyard, the hill country, and the high plains. Eric mentioned in the article, in a short period of time, the winery has gotten a good reputation. The tasting room is always busy. Stephanie Franklin is creating her first wine brand, launching in 2024, and the vineyard she's planting in her East Texas hometown of Shankleville recently got some big-time airtime on Good Morning America. Michael Strahan is a Good Morning America co-host and Hall of Fame football player. He's also got a family history in Shankleville, which is one of the more than 500 settlements in the United States known as Freedom Colonies. A freedom colony is a black community that took root after emancipation. These communities featured things that were generally unheard of or unavailable to most black Americans, like stores, schools for kids, farms, cemeteries, and churches. Strahan recently visited Shankleville, and while he was there, he saw his grandfather's tombstone for the first time. He enjoyed some of the town's famed purple-hulled peas, And he also heard from his cousin, Stephanie. Stephanie Franklin is planning to plant a vineyard in Shankleville. She says, I want to plant on the grounds that my ancestors acquired so long ago. In the meantime, she's making wine from other places in Texas. And the wine bottles will include the message dedicated to the town and community of Shankleville, Texas, planting red grapes and producing wine signifying the blood, sweat, and tears that our ancestors went through to acquire land and build in Shankleville. The Austin Business Journal is reporting that cannabis businesses in Texas may soon make more money than the wine industry. Cannabis companies brought in over $8 billion in revenue in 2022. According to a new report, they say that Texas sommeliers need to watch their backs. In a recent survey, businesses involved in hemp-derived CBD, which is the only form that's currently legal in Texas, employed more than 50,000 Texans, generating between $19.1 billion and $22.4 billion in economic growth. Workable wages in the cannabis space were above $1.6 billion. Conversely, the wine industry generated more than $20 billion across Texas for the economy, according to Wine America. Wine supported more than 141,000 jobs with nearly $7 billion earned in worker wages. The article concludes by saying, considering cannabis is already catching up to wine, despite the fact that it's only legal in its mildest form, this indicates that Texans are voting with their money and that money says they want more cannabis. The Cross Timbers Wine Trail has produced two ads supporting both Texas wine and Texas agriculture. The first ad featuring Ag Commissioner Sid Miller has been running on 95.9 The Ranch and 91.5 Hank FM. The second radio ad has just started featuring famed cowboy Red Stigall. Chuck Tordiglione of Bull Lion Ranch Winery and Cross Timbers Wine Trail says... This ad is a prototype for what we hope will be the beginning of a statewide campaign. Support Texas agriculture, drink Texas wine. You can listen to the ads on the Cross Timbers website. October will be here before you know it, and that means it's almost Texas Wine Month. There are two big passport programs that I know of going on in Texas. One's in North Texas, and the other is in the Hill Country. Each of these programs gives wine drinkers an opportunity for discounted tastings, and they both last all month long in October. 
Hill Country Wineries is featuring 45 or more wineries. And unlike past events, the passport tickets can now be used during all regular business hours, but you will need to make reservations at most of the locations. You get a 15% discount on three or more bottle purchases. Individual passes are $85, and a couple's pass is $120. In North Texas, you get to visit 35 or more wineries. Reservations for tastings are required at some of the wineries, so please check with each one before visiting. Those tickets are $50 a piece. I know we'll all be glad for some cooler temperatures, and of course October is one of the very best times to visit Texas wineries, so I look forward to grabbing some friends and getting out to some wineries during October. Also check out the Hill Country Winery Association's refreshed website. You can now use their map and apply the filter for passport events to see who's participating and where they're located. This can definitely help you map out your itinerary. KHOU 11 News recently had a news story about Hack Winery in Santa Fe, which is near Galveston, and it was a bit of a bummer, honestly. According to the story, co-owner Kyle Johnston said that Hack was forced to replant the entire three-acre vineyard just a few months ago because spring rains had saturated the soil and ruined the grapevines. He said, this is just one of those unique years where, you know, what would typically drive your decisions kind of go out the window and you're just trying to make sure that you get quality fruit that you can make premium Texas wine with. There's no relief. The replanting efforts cost the winery over $20,000. With everything being so dry, Kyle and the other owners said that it's directly impacting their bottom line because they're not able to host as many private events like weddings and concerts because it's just so hot. He said, we're definitely seeing the effects of the heat on our concert attendance, on our private event bookings, on the health of our young vineyard, and all those things do add up and do affect the bottom line. I've just attended the 18th annual Texom conference in Irving, and it was amazing once again. I was a member of the media team. There were about eight of us who attended all the different seminars and meals and receptions, and then we wrote up some briefs on everything that happened. We collected quotes and photos and videos that were shared both during the conference and will continue to be shared by the Texom team throughout the year. What you see as an attendee is great, of course, but it's what goes on during some of the pre-conference setup and after hours, starting really early and going really late, that is equally fun and educational. So sommeliers from all across the country come in to volunteer, and they spend a lot of time polishing glasses. There are about 20,000 glasses that have to be polished. And also these psalms do a ton of setup for the seminars, the tasting expos, and more. So it was some very long days, but also some of the most educational and enriching days. I'm always looking out for how Texas wine is showing up because it's such a great place for both the volunteer psalms and the actual attendees of the conference to taste Texas wine. More on that in a minute. Some Texas wines were even sponsors of the event, so special thanks to the wineries that have long supported Texom, like Paternalis, Messina Hoff, Becker, Yano, and the Texas Fine Wine Group, which includes Paternalis, Bending Branch, Spicewood, and Dukeman. Also this year, possibly for the first time ever, Chateau Wright was a sponsor. And once again, Uncork Texas Wines, the Texas Department of Agriculture's program, had a table where a number of wineries poured. These were the wineries that had been selected through the Texas Monthly Program 
awarding 12 wines a Vintner's Cup. There were two Texas wines that were poured during the actual conference seminars. The first was a 2022 Lost Draw Sparkling Pinot Meunier. It was part of a discussion on wines from regions that are off the coasts. So think Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, etc. And Jessica Dupuy was one of the speakers, and she provided some background on Texas and the Lechtman family vineyard in Gaines County, Texas, where these grapes were grown. Then in a session on non-vinifera wine, the 2014 Enix Stomp Light Portejas Fortified Wine from Blanc du Bois was featured. I wasn't in that session, but I was glad to see it get its moment since Blanc du Bois is the most planted non-vinifera in the state, and I hear it went over quite well. One night at dinner, I sat down next to this guy from the UK who was attending his first Texom, and he had just tasted his first Texas wines that day. So I asked him if he had tasted anything that had made an impression, and he mentioned how much he enjoyed the red wines from Pebble Rock, a Terraldigo, and a Sagrantino. Those were available at the Uncorked Texas Wines table, and he also mentioned the Dukeman Alianico, which was being poured at the Texas Fine Wine Table. Turns out this guy was Matt Walls, who's a master of wine, and who just wrote a book about the Rhone Valley. He was leading a seminar on the Rhone the following day, and he also writes for Decanter Magazine. So I told him that I hoped he'd come back to Texas to visit wineries and vineyards, and I understand at least a couple of Texas wineries have also invited him back, and that's just one way that Texas wines raise their profile through events like this. I had to laugh when I saw that Yano's tasting booth was set up right next to Coombsville AVA tasting booth, which of course is a nestled AVA within the Napa Valley AVA. Matt Bostick of Yano had their trademark signage prominently displayed. It says, brave Texans didn't die at the Alamo for us to sip California wine. No word on how that was received by the Californians. The Texom Awards competition has a tasting table each day, and several Texas wines that won medals at the awards were available for tasting there, including wines from Carter Creek, Uplift, Skeleton Key, William Chris, Keeper Saul, and probably a few more that I missed. And in addition to all the sponsors and folks pouring at the TDA table, it was great to see a whole group from William Chris there. I saw Clay from Texas Wine Club. Jeff Cope of Texas Wine Lover, Eric Sigmund of Southern Glaciers, and Andrew Snyder of Grayson College, who was also volunteering. Also during the diversity and inclusion reception, two Texas winemakers were pouring their wines. They were Michael McClendon from Sage's Vintage and even Sheremy Law, who is my guest on this podcast. That's it for the Texas Wine News. Find links to all these stories in the show notes at thisistexaswine.com. It's been a while since I had a new review on Apple Podcasts. I wonder if someone could leave me five stars and a few remarks. Another thing you can do to help grow the podcast is to share this episode or whichever recent episode has really made an impression on you. That's how the podcast continues to grow. And finally, you can visit my website to sign up for my occasional newsletter. That's where I will communicate with you my recent wine events and fun finds in wine and travel. Thanks, y'all. And now for our interview. My guests, Sheremy and Todd Aho have a Texas wine story that's truly unique. 
They're veterans of the U.S. Marines and U.S. Army, respectively, and Texas wine was important to their budding relationship. They started their brand, Sheremy Wine, in 2020, and since then they've had tremendous success, including getting their brand into Central Market, and more retail placements are coming soon. It's taken a lot of work to get where they are today, and you'll hear some struggles that have come along with being self-funded. They've continued to do their day jobs while they've built this brand, and then you'll also hear some of the difficulties that Todd experienced upon coming back from active duty in 2009. He credits time spent in the Texas Hill Country for helping him heal after his time at war. I interviewed Jeremy and Todd separately because they took turns corralling their adorable son, who is busy exploring the Irving Convention Center during setup for the Texom conference. And you can hear a little bit of the setup going on in the background toward the end of the interview. Here's our conversation. Well, I was thinking back to the first time I met you, which you may or may not remember, but I remember it was at Whole Foods at Park Lane, and we were at a Texas wine tasting that Daniel Yes, I remember that. Vinovium, and I saw you across the way, and I was like, I think I follow them on social media. Yeah. And so I just went over there and introduced myself. I don't know where you were in the process of starting your own brand, but I have been watching you ever since then, because that was prior to the official launch of Jeremy Wines. That way before. That yeah. was just um, us getting to learn the industry. Like That was part of our like research time, and we said we spent you know, two and a half, three years just researching Texas wine. That was part of it. Wow, that's crazy. So Texas wine has been important in your whole relationship, it sounds like. Well, 100%. So with Todd and I, um, one of our first dates, he literally took me to Fredericksburg. Um, and at the time, I had was in college. And then a lot of my girlfriends, so this was 20... Um, so 2012 was when all my girlfriends were going to Fredericksburg and, you know, taking trips and I was a poor college kid, so I could never afford. So, you know, here comes January, 2013. Um, this guy's like, Hey, you want to go to Fredericksburg? I, he was just some guy I met at a bar actually. Um, and I was like, "Ah, yeah, you're going to pay for it. And and you're going to take me to Fredericksburg. Let's go. So yeah, it, I mean, very, one of our very first dates. Like, like awkwardly first dates is when so he fun. took me there. Yeah. So you, some at some point in the story, you got the idea that Texas wine was something that you were interested in, not just drinking, but pursuing. Yeah. Yep. So from there, you know, I had, you know, my eyes were open when we went to Fredericksburg. Loved everything about it. Loved looking at the vines and the wine. And I, I mean, I don't know what just brought me in, but something did. Um, and so Todd and I used, um, going down to Fredericksburg as a way to get away from Dallas, the, you know, concrete jungle and, you know, it's beautiful down there. And Todd has his own kind of connection to the hill country. And so, um, you know, we had been exploring Texas wine and, uh, at a family event, uh, one of Todd's family members, um, she had married into the family. They sell wine in New York. And, you know, I was with behind the years. I don't know nothing about wine, like nothing at all. And, you know, I'm so excited. And I'm like, well, have you heard about Texas wine? And she looked at us like we were crazy. Like, 
what are you even talking about? Um, and she didn't even like engage right into what we were talking about. And Todd and I are people who are like, if you tell us we can't do something or you give us this weird vibe and we're, we feel like we need to explore it more, um, we're going to do it. So please don't tell myself or Todd we can't do anything because then sometimes it brings great pain to us because we have to prove you that we can. Um, from there, I was like, why did we get that response? And that's when I like dove like really head in and Todd was all about it. And that's when we just started like just driving around, like going to the high plains and the hill country. And I mean, we've just been all over Texas, just meeting with growers and industry leaders and winemakers and, you know, becoming more than just, you know, Texas wine enthusiasts, but really like, you know, just embedding ourselves within the industry. Do you remember the time that you said, I want my own wine brand? Yeah, Yeah, actually. So, um, I realized that, you know, like all of us uh, in the wine, Texas, specifically Texas wine industry, um, we are not represented in the restaurant uh, world very well at all. Um, And I noticed that specifically here in Dallas. And I wanted to change that. So I became a wine broker. Um, I don't just suggest anybody without any training to do that. Actually, it worked for me because I learned a lot. Now, Dallas market is a very interesting wine market. And at the time, I didn't know. And maybe that was a good thing that I didn't know. Um, So I was selling other people's wines. um, And we got some really good placements for Texas wines up here. Um, And then we had a really good deal. And the winery didn't want to follow through on their part of it because we were just brokers at the time. Like the winery would have to do the legwork or, or, you know, actually deliver the wine and all of this. And they just didn't want to. Um, And at that time, I had been a wine broker for about a year. And I realized that, you know, how we were kind of talking about wine, Texas wine was um, not the right way. Right. We were we were talking about it as in, you know. I got this Texas wine, and which makes sense. And so I have it here in Texas, so drink it. And you should put it on your list because you're in Texas and it's Texas wine. Well, I realized we weren't talking about it, how it should be in actually the world of wine, specifically in Dallas. And I'm glad I you know, got my butt handed to me in the Dallas market uh, because there are um, industries, um, you know, wine regions from around the world that spend so many marketing dollars specifically in Dallas, right? And so we've got to figure out, and at that time it came to me, how do we, with all of these marketing dollars that are coming in from, you know, Australia and Italy and, you know, we've, I mean, just everywhere, how do we compete with that, right? And so I, you know, I was like, Todd, I believe in myself and I believe that I can sell our wine. Um, so can I take our life savings <laughs> and start a wine brand? And my sweet husband, he just believes in anything that I say and that I can do anything, which sometimes I'm like, maybe Todd, you should question me, you know? <laughs> um but he's like, let's do it. And so that's the, you know, that's the reason why I started, started the wine brand. Again, uh, it was all from being like immersed in the industry, right? We didn't just one day go, you know what, I'm just going to go get some shiners and I'm just going to, now I'm a wine brand, right? We, we put in the work, um, on the front end and the back end. Um, I've spent, 
years networking, you know, through Texom. Texom has been one of my huge, um, you know, industry events of getting to meet people, um, you know, but I network with people all over the world and talk to them about Texas Line. And so, you know, we... We started off with a little, you know, wet behind the ears, but we've been methodical in how we've done things. So you talked about sales and the challenges of selling wine. What were the challenges of getting your brand to market? So, um, one, we represent a wine, and this is, you know, Texas, um, and uh, we all know our industry. Uh, We're up and coming wine region. Um, So being a brand that is from uh, becoming wine region and had that has the history that we have where, um, you know, many, many a year ago, uh, you know, we were learning about how every, you know, how do our grapes grow and how do we make the, the wines in the, with the grapes that grow best here in Texas. And that, you know, before that we weren't doing that. And so we were producing wines that weren't good. And so people keep, their hand on the Texas wine industry because of that, which we had to go through that because we had to learn. Um, and there are people who um, hold the keys to certain places who still have their hand over Texas wine um, in that and like keeping the industry down. Um, and so there's fighting that um, within the wine industry in and of itself, it's very, it's not a diverse um, area at all. And so having to um, kind of, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know the best way to put it. Like, um, you know, juck and chive around the gatekeepers of the wine industry and being like, you know what, this black woman who has Texas, really good Texas wine deserves a seat at the table. Um, And so, it every part of my, you know myself within the wine industry is not easy. There's not an easy part of it, right? Like you know, being a black woman in Texas wine or in the wine industry in general is not easy. So I have to, you know, f- find my way through that. Um, having a wine from an up and coming wine region, self funding, you know, our own wine brand. Um, you know, we actually still work in corporate America. So, you know, not being able to give my whole time to our wine brand. Um, And so we hope that's going to change soon. Um, But there's nothing easy about it. So lots going on. Lots. Yeah. Um, One more question about the history of the brand. Are there specific conversations or visits with either growers or winemakers or at certain wineries that you feel like really made an influence um in your and in, in the dreams that you have yeah. for your brand um we have been you know yeah we've put in a lot of work uh, getting to know people um but the, the the amount of people that believe in uh Jeremy wine and and todd and myself is is huge um you know this may uh be cliche, but Chris Bundra, he, he has believed in, you know, Jeremy and, and Todd since we, since we first started, when we first became, uh, you know, um, wine club members at, at William Chris. Um, and that, you know, he didn't, he never treated us like we were, you know, just trying to get free wine or, you know what I mean? Just like Texas wine enthusiasts, like we weren't, 
like we weren't serious in our pursuit and learning more about Texas wine and then becoming a part of the industry. He has brought us in. Um, John Remenberg, um, same thing. He actually um, is one of my top mentors within the industry and he believes 100% in everything that we do, um, you know, in teaching us about, you know, how we should be thinking about, you know, and the grapes that we choose and going to market. And, you know, I mean, it's more than just, you know, here, drink our wine and then get out of our way. Like they have poured so much inside of us. Um, there, um, oh man, there's so many people who, who have done that, who literally have taken their time. Um, Katie Jane, literally, um, with farmhouse vineyards, um, Oh man, there's so many people who've given us their time, energy, and talent um, when they didn't have to. Because these people don't know us from, I, you know, from anyone. I mean, they know us now, but you know, as much as they have invested of their time, um, again, and their energy, and their knowledge, and their um, just their their beings is, I, it, it's crazy and, and awesome all at the same time. That's great. Mm-hmm. Early on in the podcast, I was doing a segment at the end where I would drink a wine and talk about it. And your Riesling, which I think was your first release, yep. maybe, yeah, it was, it was, was one of the wines that I shared. Yep. So you went to the market first with a Riesling. And that was what, 20? That was 2020. So it was a 2019 uh, Riesling, released in 2020. Um, Share Me Wine always wants to be known as a brand that is kind of pushing the envelope. And because... Our wine is not only drank here in Texas. Um, you know, we obviously are here in Texas, uh, but we distribute to 40 plus states. Um, we have had, you know, our wine has actually been overseas. Uh, we've been, you know, people have tasted it. It's actually been in a um, competition over there. We want to show that what Texas is doing just differently, right? And so when people heard, uh, that's the reason why we started off with the Riesling is people like, a Texas Riesling? What in the world? Um, But it went like hockey. I mean, it just sold out really quickly. Um, And it ended up, we sent it over to the UK to be in a... um, in a competition, in a wine competition, and it ended up getting a silver. And the judges, like, their notes were like, you know, it was, everything was positive, and they were like, we just can't, we can't place this wine. And I was all like, well, one, you've never had Texas Riesling, but it just, I mean, it just dead my heart so good, because here we had a Texas wine over in the UK where it was going against, you know, German Rieslings and Rieslings from other part of the, the world. And, you know, the fact that they had some great, you know, things to say about it, but then they were like, we can't place it. That just did my heart good. And I was like, hey, let's do it. Let's go. That's great. Yeah. And so since then, you've had a number of different release- releases, white, red, rosé. Yes. And you have some new releases, but before I want to talk about the specific wines, I want you to tell me a little bit about your label because you have rebranded since your first wine and we, I was just complimenting your label oh, off yes. air, but tell me a little bit about what we yes. have here and I'll, post, I'll be sure and post a picture so people can see it. Please do. Um, so we had our very first wine label and it was, um, 
you can tell it's very much a beginner wine label. I, I designed it and I love that wine label, but Sherman wine has grown since then. Um, and this is actually, if you want like a specific, specific, um, Todd did such a, he, he, he is very connected to this label. So I think it's, uh, he has so much add to add to this, but I, knew that Sherman wine was growing out of hand sailing and more so retail. Um, and that's the direction, you know, Sherman wine is going as retail and then outside of the state of Texas. Um, and we needed a wine label that spoke to that. Um, and so that's the reason why we changed it. Um, and it does look good on its own and in the midst of other wine brands. Um, so, you know, when you go into the grocery store or, you know, wherever you see it and you see it on the, uh, on the, um, shelf, you're just really excited. And and we've had some really great feedback about it. Um, so yeah, I love it. I love her. And it says black owned, Texas grown, Texas made. Yes. Um, so, um, I always say this, (laughs) the one thing that I want changed about Texas wine is right now, um, everybody looks the same within our industry. Um, and that's not what's represented, uh, within the tasting rooms and, um, you know, people who work in the wineries and things of that nature. And, you know, even when you send your wine outside of Texas, um, you want people to know that. And now to my friends out in the high plains, to my grape growers, y'all know, I love you. Um, but they're all farmers, right? And so they, when you think of Texas wine, you, that's kind of what you think. And they're all, you know, a s- certain ethnicity of farmers. And so um, we wanted to show that, that yes, that is a part of the, what Texas wine looks like, but that's not where we stop. And that's what we, we definitely want to not necessarily just change it, but add to it and make it better. Because, you know, we are... Uh, the Texas wine industry is just so dynamic and the people who are owners in it um, should reflect that. And the decision makers should reflect that. So I like the way you talk about your brand. And I, I looked on your website and saw this because your company name is salt and pepper wines. So the, this is a quote from your website and this is you speaking. I'm black, Todd's white. And the name is a fun nod to us as a couple on this adventure to share Texas wine with the world. But even more than that, salt and pepper are different, but they go together. We believe in together. Salt and pepper wine stands for inclusivity, where everyone, no matter their race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, wine knowledge, economic status, cool crowd or not, are welcome and celebrated. We've saved a seat just for you at our Texas wine loving table. Yes. Well done. Yes. And that's exactly what we believe. Um, You know, we've had people who 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 look all sorts of ways, who believe in all sorts of different things. We have friends who specifically in the, in the wine industry in general, who don't believe in the same, you know, um, religion or political ideology or any of that. And what brings us all together is wine, right? And so we want to make sure that everyone feels comfortable and confident within what Todd and I are producing. Um, and we realize that, Sometimes that's not happening. When we were doing uh, wine festivals, which hopefully we'll get back to it because I, I miss doing our wine festivals, um, we would have people who were who looked like me and I'm black who, um, 
who would just linger at our table. And they were like, not just because we had the best wine, but because we did, but because of how we talked to them, we, how we explained the wine. Uh, they were like, we've gotten other tables and this, I don't want a- anyone to take this personally or anything like that. Cause I'm not calling out anyone or whatever, but they'd be like, they're just pouring wine and trying to get me out of their face. Right. And that's not how you talk to, um, talk to us. And so it's part of just making what we're doing just so inclusive. Uh, cause like I said, I'm one, I'm one person, Todd's another, and we go together like salt and pepper. Um, now, funny enough, we've, people, when we first started, they did make comment of our name, but now we've proven, we've proven <laughs> ourselves. Very good. So you mentioned your retail opportunities mm-hmm. and that one of the directions forward for you is retail. Yes. Tell me what that looks like for you right now, because you've had some exciting developments around the retail space. Yes. Yes. Um, I think how I talk about Jeremy Wine is how we're doing things just a little bit different. So I hope no one takes offense. But uh, trust me, we want our own tasting room. We want, you know, beautiful. We want vineyards and all these things. Um, But um, as I have talked about what our brand is, it's not just about me, right? And although my name is on the on the bottle, it's about how do we grow as a as an industry as a whole, right? Um, and one of our lagging opportunities is within retail. Now, retail is a it's brutal and it's a beast. You've got, I mean, it, it's sometimes I would think having a tasting room is a whole lot easier than retail. Um, but Todd and I feel like our space is, um, you know, our brand right now is best in retail, uh, and, and, um, on and off premises. So not just retail, but, um, you know, restaurants and, and things of that nature. Um, and you know, we had our first big opportunity and we went to all central markets across Texas. Um, and you know, the fanfare that, you know, it was great fan for fair and people who had never heard of us, they were so super supportive. We moved a whole lot of wine and, um, it just shows that we're on the right direction. Uh, we will be, um, by the end of the year, we're going to be in Whole Foods here in Texas. Um, and we're working on, um, other retail places for, for share me wine. That's incredible. Yeah. So you will still have web sales for yes. individuals and yes. do you do a wine club? Um, we haven't started it yet. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what best system to do it on. Um, anybody has any two cents on what I should use, please let me know. Um, but we will have a, um, we will have a wine club and we'll start doing where we'll do some wines that you can probably get in retail, but then we'll also have a couple of wines that only our wine club members can have. So I know your very first wine that Riesling was fairly small production, but yes. I'm guessing you've grown since. And it sounds yes. like with all these distribution partners, yes, you're yes. expected to be able to fulfill some serious orders. Which is crazy because um, when they, you know, we're, you know, we were used to doing direct to consumer and moving a couple of balls here, cases here. And, you know, cause we don't have a wine club. And so, you know, slow moving and retail, it's not like that. And they want it all on the same day and you're like, Oh good God. Um, but yeah, that our first production was hundred cases and, uh, we've moved up to 2000 cases. So yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. So we we're still babies. Um, but, but, but 
growing steadily. Coming along. Um, yeah. Hopefully, um, within the next few years, we can uh, double our size from there. That's the goal. So tell me about the winemaking process. I know that you're working with John Rivenberg mm-hmm. and the incubator. So yes. tell me about how involved are you in all that? And do you still go out to the high plains and visit your grapes and all that? You know, so I just had a baby. Well, just had a baby. He's 15 months old. Um, so um, I haven't been out to high plains this year um, because of my little dude. Um, but we're working with John Rivenberg. Um, he literally has been my favorite winemaker in all of Texas. Um, he is such an amazing mentor uh in what he does he does not hoard knowledge at all um he is about um what we're all about is uh, pushing the texas wine industry forward but making sure we're producing great wine and doing it um and so it's been really awesome to work with him uh because he like i said at the beginning like he's all about like just giving us all any of the knowledge that we ask for like he has spent time on the phone with me all you know while i've had questions about um you know specifically grapes and get you know being in the vineyard and things of that nature. Um, and so it's just been an awesome natural fit for Jeremy Wine to be working with John Revenberg um, and the incubator um, because he understands the growth that we're trying to do. Um, working with him is the reason why we've been able to grow so quickly uh, because he understands the retail space and what is needed for the retail space. And he is he's really awesome at um, just believing in your vision and helping you fulfill that and um you know when you're thinking he's going to say no he'll say yes and if he has to say no it'll you know he'll figure out something um he's just been so great to share me wine and and uh, the incubator has been just so instrumental in you know helping us get from you know like I said that 100 cases to where we are now and being able to move and you know, making us look good. And I, you know, always say I'm the pretty face of Jeremy wine, but I've got my grape growers. I got my people in production. They, they look better there than I do. Um, you know, I don't like to sweat too much and you know, all of these things. Um, but my hope is that as we move, um, you know, as I move out of my corporate job, I will be able to be more out in the vineyard. I feel like this is a little like newlywed game because I'm going to ask Todd some of the questions I ask <laughs> you and I'm going to compare your answers. But I love it. Between you and Todd, who do you think has a better palate? Todd. Todd actually does. Um, I, yeah, he, Todd has an amazing palate. Um, I, before I just kind of choose the direction of our wines, I will go to Todd. Um, you'll actually, uh, this, this, this rosé right here, um, I was so scared cause it was so, so when we first bottled it, um, I had drink and I was like, it's not good. It's not good. We're, you know, we've wasted all of our money and our time and our energy. And he's like, chill out, woman, chill out. Um, and it's turned out to be, to be really beautiful. Um, but yeah, Todd has a better palate than I do. What kind of wines are your favorite to drink? Um, I am good wine. Interesting enough, I actually do prefer Texas wine, like to drink, you know, on the patio or in my home or whatever. Now we have a, we have, I don't know how many bottles of wine we have in our wine collection. So we have wine, you know, from all over the world. And so, you know, I drink 
you know, we've, we're giving wine from people from, you know, when we do wine swaps and stuff like that from different regions or whatnot, and their wine is really good. But I do prefer, I do prefer a Texas wine. And that's not just me saying that because my wine is from Texas, but I actually do enjoy drinking it. Um, and I'm a red wine, I'm a red wine girl. Like I'll, if it's hot outside, I'll have a wide this or that, but I don't really prefer it. I guess I do some bubblies. I like some bubblies. Yeah. Um, but, Ooh, but Jeremy wine bubbly. Sign me <laughs> Louis up for that. Oh, let's see. Let's see. But yeah, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a red wine girl. You guys just won a grant from the association of African American vintners. Yes. The 2023 wine entrepreneur grant. So you've received a $5,000 grant to positively impact your business operations, marketing, or innovation efforts and to grow your brand. Yes. So, it sounds like that has happening. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, as I said before, uh, Share Me Wine is 100% self-funded. Um, we have funded this from our day jobs, right? We No one has given us any money for what we're trying to do. Um, and as any anyone knows uh, who's in the industry, it's a ve- like the, the, the entry point um, is uh, very expensive and to keep yourself going is very um, expensive. And so with that, any kind of um, grants or whatnot that we can get, um, it, 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 it's so helpful to us. And so this entrepreneurship grant that we got from AAAV, which I'm actually um, on um, some committees within the organization. Um, and that's not, I'm not on the committee that chose actually that were outside um outside people who chose who was going to get the grant and getting the grant it just shows that people and believe in what we're doing and what we're you know trying to accomplish and um what we did with that grant is we got our um, new labels uh, so we put all um, we changed all of our wines over to the new labels we got our um corks uh we hired some ambassadors to do some ambassadorship for us um within um central market so our first retail spot um we are actually going to be going to chicago to show our wine so we you know things like that um it really helped us to be able to open our brand up uh, more and um, not have to be so beholden to wine cells, which is so, so important. Um, but it just helps us to move in a different way so that we can um, grow our wine cells in different places. And so we're not so like, you know, having to do high sell, you know, pitches where I need you to buy my wine now, because if you don't buy my wine, I can't, you know, do do this or that. And so um, it just helps us to be able to Give us like like they say like the um, tech bros say give you that that runway a little bit more runway. There you go. I had asked you about sharing some social media handles or what have you mm-hmm. with listeners. I think that so often we we just follow the wine people that we've always followed, and we don't always have in mind to look for new voices, to look for more diverse voices. Yes. And so I thought it would be worthwhile to get your thoughts on who you think people should pay attention to in the wine space. Yes. And I would love to just get some of those and I can include them in the show notes so people can maybe uh, diversify their their Um, follow list. Most definitely. Um, The wine industry is so interesting. I was actually having this discussion with someone and we were just talking about, um, 
you know, what makes the wine industry different from like the spirits industry and, you know, the beer industry or, or whatnot. And, um, within the wine industry, sometimes we get so siloed and, you know, I only drink this and I only drink that. And I only, my wine only comes from here or whatnot. And so I think it's so important to diversify who you know within the wine industry um some people that are important to me um and who I think should be followed because they're doing some awesome stuff in within the wine industry um and they also have mentored Todd and I um I you know I didn't get this far all by myself I have some um, some amazing wonderful mentors actually so triple AV I think it's important for people to follow AAAV to see what's going on with the uh, Black-owned uh, wine space, what's going in there, because that 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 is growing um, hugely. Um, actually, there's only, um, last, last I heard, it was like 1% of all Black wine brands um, are with, within the wine industry. There's only 1% of 1% owners. of yeah. U.S. wineries yeah. are Black-owned. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I mean, that's... That's insane. Um, and so it's really important to see what they're doing. So AAAV, which they're not just only uh, wine brands. There are people who are in all sorts of spaces within the wine industry. Um, Balkan Wines, um, Chris Christensen, he owns Balkan Wines. How do you spell B-A-L-K-A-N? Uh, Balkan, B-O-D-K-I-N. Balkan. Oh, Balkan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazing, Chris Christensen. Oh my goodness gracious! Uh, amazing, a mentor to, to Todd and I. Um, and he's doing some awesome stuff with his brand. Um, he also um, has his own incubator uh, in California that he runs, and so it's really cool to see the things that he's doing. Um, Urban Grape out of Boston. Uh, TJ Hadley. TJ. Um, and his wife Hadley Douglas. Uh, he actually just got uh, what is it forty next forty. From yeah, the, the future forty yeah, future or whatever 40, they're calling yes, it now. <laughs> yes. Um, again, another awesome person doing great things within the, the wine industry and like diversifying his offerings. Uh, he's got a. I mean, he's doing all sorts of things, but they have a um, retail shop in downtown Boston, and uh, just how they are thinking about how you know they serve their wines and sell their wines. It's about progressive and not just like all the Cabernet Sauvignons are here and all the Chardonnays are here. It's like you drink progressively throughout their shop, which is really cool. Um, another huge mentor um, to Todd and I. Um, let's see, who else? Oh, Uncorked and Cultured. Um, another um, amazing you know, platform of just showing the diversity that is within wine. Who else? Um, Julia Coney, um, another person who these are people who have mentored Todd and I. Um, and I, I think people should look at what they're doing because they're doing some amazing things within the wine industry and helping people like myself be seen because like I said, only 1% of us own wine brands in all in the whole country, right? Like the whole country in Texas. I want to say there's less than 10 of us in Texas. Um, and that's 10, maybe a generous number um, that offers 100, you know, obviously people, there's more who have, you know, the winery permit, but who do 100% Texas wine, there's less than 10. And that's being generous, I do believe. Um, and so these are people who help, help me uh, and help Todd and help our brand navigate the wine industry, which is brutal and a beast. Um, so yeah.
Perfect. I was thinking like Lyft Collective. And oh yeah, like, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, they gave me a, a grant as well. I got a grant from them as well as part of their entrepreneurship um, program as well. So yeah, just to have these people who are outside of like the norm believe in our our brand and what we're doing. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad that you have found mentors because it's not easy, it's but easy it's everything that you've been through has gotten you to this point. So hopefully it'll uh, pay off in the, in the end. You know, um, I, funny enough, I, we all just get frustrated, but because of, you know, how we're self-funding it and everything, it does get frustrating because we don't get to move as fast as I want to. Uh, but we, we get to become masters of whatever that next step that we're in. Right. So we're not doing crazy growth where we don't, you know, it's unsustainable or whatnot, like, you know, and going to retail yet, we've got our first retail spot and now we, you know, we got to figure that out. Then we're going into our next one. We're going to get that figured out. So now we'll have, you know, two retail spots. How do you do that? Um, Right now we're self distributing. Uh, We're looking for a distributor um, and not just, any old distributor, um, one who, you know, really, again, is wanting to um, really be a part of our story and, and you know, what we're doing with Jeremy Wine. Uh, so that's a whole nother story of just finding it, you know, than just finding a distributor. It's finding the right distributor. So we're looking for the right distributor right now. Good deal. Well, I've been, of course, following you from the beginning because I feel like a personal investment in your success. Oh, thank you. And I'm excited for everything that has um, happened in the right way for you. I know there have been struggles, but you've overcome. So thank you so much. I appreciate Um, that. I'd love to get Todd in for a minute. Okay. Jeremy told me about the beginning of your relationship (laughs) and how one of your first dates you went to Fredericksburg and that kind of planted the seed. And I know that it was a long time of studying and learning about Texas, but I wonder if you have a couple of specific experiences that you remember either with growers or wineries, winemakers that made you super excited to get into this industry. Uh, well, I, I actually started off not in a wine industry per se. So um, when I came back from war in 2009, I was I was pretty jacked up, um, you know. Just it was is a obviously war is a you know as an infantryman as well in the United States Army stationed at Fort Hood. So, um, you know, you know, war was definitely one of those things that you know bad things happen, and that's just the nature nature and reality. Um, when I came back, and there's obviously a lot of change because I got back in January. Uh, late January, early February of 2009, and then I uh, PCS'd out of the, or I exfilled out of the Army in August 15th, uh, 2009. So in a very, very short period of time, it was like you have all these guys that you've trained up with, you've went to war with, you come back, and then all of a sudden everyone in a very short period of time just kind of goes their own way. And that definitely has a lot of challenges with it, but I am absolutely glad I went through that. What ended up happening there was a, a very good guy, Operation Enduring Support, John Rory. If uh, if anyone wants to uh, donate to a very, very good cause, th- these are the guys to do it. Um, you know, he took me out hunting. So, the you know, one of the uh, really good friend of mine, when he really explained what coming back from war is like, um, he said, you know, everybody has a jacked up chapter in life, okay, whether it's 
losing a spouse, losing a kid, um, kids going off the deep end into drugs and opioids. And there, there's a litany of reasons. Mine just so happened to be war. But from there, he said, you know, whatever you did before the jacked up chapter in life, everyone has it. Everyone has a jacked up chapter. Whatever you did before the jacked up chapter of life for fun, continue doing that. So for me, that was hunting, fishing, and dogs. Loved hunting, loved fishing, loved dogs. And so, you know, over the course of, I don't know, six or seven months, you know, we went fishing every weekend that I possibly could. I went hunting every every weekend I possibly could. And that kind of got my mind back from war. It was like, oh, that's right. I remember how, how to be in society. That's part of the the initial part of, of healing. The second part of that is you need to find something you know nothing about, hold no family lineage to, you are too stupid to realize you're too stupid, and now you need to become a subject matter expert. So obviously I was in Fort Hood in Central Texas at that time, and Texas wine at that point in time, you know, 2009, 2010, it was starting to kind of, everyone was kind of starting to get their their wits about them. Yes, you did have, you know, Pheasant Ridge that had been, you know, doing stuff for very, very long time, you know, very long times in in the uh, Texas High Plains. But Fredericksburg as a wine destination really hadn't gotten its legs underneath it. Not certainly nothing what it's, what it's now. Sure. And so because I was driving through Fredericksburg to go to Hunt, Texas, to Junction, Texas, to Eagle Pass, Del Rio, I was kind of lazy and I was like, well, shoot, I mean, I'll try this Texas wine thing. I, I hold no family lineage to it. I have no, I am, I'm too stupid to realize I'm too stupid. And then what I really realized on there, and again, this was just over the course of, you know, you know, uh, I don't know, eight months to a year and a half was any time that I was struggling with anything, I could kind of just say, "Hey, look, I'm have you know I'm having a veteran moment," and people were very very open to it. There, there, you're talking about a group of individuals in the hill country that they either have served themselves, they know somebody who has served, or they have a father or family member that has served as well. So they, the vast majority of people, the the likelihood that you're running run into someone saying, "Oh, okay, you know, that's, like, take your time," I get it, and. And that was very eye-opening. And through that process, you actually realize how to have a relationship outside of the military. Because in the military, you there's a very certain structure on how you have friendships. And a lot of times leaving that, you're all of a sudden ripping yourself away from a, a, a massive community that's very, very tight, particularly in combat arms. So by doing that, it gave you the confidence, or it gave myself the confidence that hey, I don't need to have a lot of the uh, the, the 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 drugs or anything else like that in the system mm-hmm. in order to deal with life. And then through that, then you start gaining confidence. And then you know, throughout college and everything else, you actually gain more confidence. And then you realize that you can actually start using what was a detriment or what you viewed as a detriment is actually something that's a very very positive. And, and so, you know. John Rory, you know, whereas he wasn't the one doing all of the the um, psycho, you know, psychological stuff, he he played a very big part in that, and that's why I say anybody who wants to donate to Operation Enduring Support, I I stand as a 
as a uh, as a as an example, example of, of how it goes right. Yeah. So a, that's a charity that helps returning service veteran. people with with dealing with, with post traumatic stress. Okay. And it's not a disorder. It is perfectly normal to want to shoot and kill somebody who's trying to shoot and kill you. Um, now, what you do with it afterwards, that's where the de- either the destruction or the construction can either happen. Mm-hmm. And if you start using it as a post-traumatic growth, now you actually come back a lot stronger. Just as a, just as a bone in your body breaks and it never breaks in the same place because it comes back stronger... So too, if you if you if you if you uh, galvanize your mind, it definitely does that as well. When Jeremy came along in 2012, 2013, I had been going to the hill country for a long time, much more for the the uh, the, the medicinal side, mm-hmm. of it, if you will, the the uh, returning from war side of it, and it became a place that was that was just just very comforting and very. Um, it was very relaxing. You know, when you come over the hill on 290 at Dripping Springs, where it says gateway to the hill country, it's almost like you just feel the stress just come off your back. And, you know, when you have a rough week and you, you get to go out there, it it definitely is one of those things that, that's that's where everything kind of started for me in the wine industry. Um, Jeremy uh, is more the business mind. Um, I'm more the storyteller in case you haven't figured that out yet. She also told me that you have a better palate than she does. Um, in certain cases. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a better palate. I would say it's it's a more experienced palate because when I had, you know, she wasn't really, I mean, did she drink a lot of wine before 2013? Yes. But it was not as fo- when she, when her and I kind of came on, came together in 2012 2013 a lot of what we were doing there was we were really just using it kind of as a getting to know each other kind of thing she wasn't really utilizing it as a as a hey I am focused on wine at this point in time eventually over time she said well we're spending so much money on this we got to make a business out of it so we at least have something to write off on taxes um but it's it's one of those things that i've had i've seen the 2007s 2008s 2009s 2010s 12s, 13s, 14s, 15s. And before she really got in there, she she just didn't have a backlog of that like I did. And again, that has nothing to do with anything other than just I had access to it yeah. and that was it. And she kind of never thought that it, that was even a job at that point, I don't believe so. And then when, when we went down there the first time, um, she just kind of fell in love with the place and I already loved the place, so it was kind of like, okay, this is kind of cool. Do this. Well, she gave me a lot of information about how the brand came to be. Yeah. But I wonder if you can tell me, what is your favorite part of having a wine brand? The favorite part? I'll, I'll give a hierarchy. Okay. Because, you know, you have probably the four or five things on top that are really the I wouldn't at any one point in time that could be the apex. The network of people is 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 one of those things that you know you know you get to meet people like John Rivenberg and Michael McClendon and and 
Wes Jensen. Sorry, not Jess Wenson. <laughs> sorry. That's funny. Uh, sorry, but you know, you get to, you, you get to meet, uh, I mean, and if you've ever got the honor to hang out with Wes and Michael, they are just, they're hilarious. It's, it's, it's fun, like working with them, the, the limited time we get to work with them. And, you know, getting to know a lot of other people's stories, that, that's, that's the fun part. But the other side of that, of it too, is I get to see our son grow up. And, you know, as we have these vintages, you know, it's like a, a, a snapshot in time of him growing up and, you know, looking at how fast, you know, we, we obviously after having him, we kind of took a step back and said, hey, let's focus. You know, this is something brand new. Um, let's, you know, kind of figure out how to manage this and then let's start stacking stuff back on top. Because of that, I get to see how, you know, like, uh, you know, this, you know, Montepulciano Rosés, you know, we've, this is our second vintage of it. It's like, you get to see, you know, one without him, then one with him. And then as everything mm-hmm. gets to going, it's kind of, a, it's, it's a snapshot in time. That's cool. The, the third thing that I absolutely love is, is the learning aspect of it. I will admit, I am, I am not a very intelligent person in, in many ways. One of the ways that I really had to look at wine was, it is a language and taste. You can learn a lot about somebody by tasting their wine. What did they want to, you to taste? What did they not want you to taste? What did they think was the best about that particular varietal at that particular year, at that particular bricks level? And there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Or, and you, you can taste excellence and you can taste laziness. It's weird now looking at it. You can sit there and say, wow, this this." This grape absolutely filled out. It went front palate, mid palate, back palate, but you filled it with sugar. It's like, come on, like you had such an opportunity. The one thing that I absolutely love about Texas is that we do have a very independent spirit. So we aren't California where they have their 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 big three, the 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 Pinot Noirs, the, the Cab Savion, and the Chardonnay. Like, that is that is their big things. With us, we have Montepulciano, and it, it, that is a phenomenal grape. And you can also go to the Tempranillos and everything else along those lines. But we have so many different types of grapes. Then I asked Todd about his and Jeremy's different roles in the business. I, I like the business, but Jeremy is she she runs that she runs that ship and and I come alongside and support her in that. I don't I don't make a lot of decisions on this. Um she takes my opinion and then throws it away many times. <laughs> She'd like but, to know what you think, but she's not necessarily <laughs> gonna take your advice. Well, she watches the numbers. So she's like, Well, can we do it? Can we not do it? Do we have a market for it? Um and so that's really, and, and, you know, I'm more the, Hey, I think this wine will do very, very well. I, under these circumstances, the person that we are looking for is going to be here, 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 and here. Um, you know, more of the marketing side of it. Whereas her, she's, she's the dollars and cents and both are very, very 
important uh, as much as as much as we butt heads. Um, now I know on our on our highlight reel of of Instagram, it looks like we we always are in one hundred percent agreement. But uh, no, there's a there anyone who has been in business for anything more than six months will understand that you do need to have both sides of that in order for something to grow. Let me ask you kind of in closing, what are you most excited about for the next phase in the development of share me wines? I mean, I know that there have been a lot of changes and you've had some (sighs) tremendous opportunities put in front of you in the retail space, but what are you most excited to do in the next three years or so? I think the most exciting thing for what we do is we have been able to evolve as 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 more opportunity has come. You know, we we started out much, you know, just as you know, fanboys and fangirls. That was it. You know, it's like, oh, okay, hey, we're gonna go ahead and you know get on this stuff and you know really showcase to the world what Texas wine is. You know, we actually did a a podcast for a very very short period of time because we thought that that was a, a way for us to go but then we really realized hey in order for us to really be effective in this place we have to show the world what this is we can't just talk about it and so at that point in time then we just kind of evolved to saying hey look we know the winemakers we know the the, the grape growers and we know the retail space and we know a lot of buyers and so then it shifted from there to saying, hey, look, how do we take Texas wine beyond the borders of Texas? Most of our wine is actually sold out. Actually, I think this year is the first time that we've sold more wine in Texas than out of Texas. But the trend is for the, more Texas drinkers versus outside of Texas. Well, it's a lot easier. Um, but... COVID actually really helped us when everybody went online because our we were actually seriously looking at a place in Dallas in the DFW area to room. have our own tasting room at that point. But thank God we didn't sign on anything. From there, because so many people were outside of the state of Texas and had no problem buying wine online, we we were able to really we went to 36 or 37 states and the vast majority of our wine was, i mean it, it 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 was funny because in the first 13 days we actually sold 48% i think it was 40 46 or 48% of our entire stock and I think ninety. I think it was like the mid nineties for the percentage of how much of it went outside of the state of Texas. Wow. So it was. It, it got to the point where we actually had to stop our our uh, our our social media campaign because at that point in time we wouldn't have made it to October, November, December. Wow. So it was kind of like weird. It was like, or it, uh, it, we would have made it to Halloween, but we wouldn't have made it to to the other other um, holidays in the OND. So now you're shifting yet again. Yep, into retail space. So, you know, COVID really threw us a, a curveball because, again, our first our first thing was, was let's get a retail space, then let's get a membership, and then let's get, you know, a, a place down in the hill country and, you know, kind of do that first. And, and then we'll work on, 
you know, the online, you know, direct to consumer, that kind of stuff. Well, COVID just kind of switched everything and we're like, okay, how do we do this online? And then so many other people were doing it online and we just kind of said, well, let's, hey, that's, we started online. We, that was kind of our strong suit at that point in time. So it's like, let's do that. Through that, there was a lot of people that, that bought our wine that are buyers and so they would reach out to us and say, hey, look, we've heard a lot about Texas. We just don't know anybody in there. And so that's kind of where we've just learned to kind of just be the conduit and allowing other people to say, you know, hey, because we know Todd and Jeremy, because we know Jeremy Wine, I'm willing to take a risk on, you know, other wine brands. And that's really what we've really wanted to be beyond anything else. It's just kind of crazy that you know we always kind of just wanted to just be the fanboy and fangirl but we've just kind of all of a sudden look at you now the mission's kind of just shifted and that's where everything's at so well i have a feeling it's going to be a very exciting future for Jeremy wines and for todd and Jeremy and fletcher oh yes and And that's going to be the other side of it too when 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 i can actually look back and say okay son this is what you were this year this year, this year, this year. Someday you'll say, I remember trying to record that podcast and you were running all over the convention center. <laughs> oh, That's he awesome. Is, he, he can be a, a rather difficult one to corral. I think he's just a toddler. That's what they do. That's uh, their job. Oh, well, I see so much of myself and, you know, that hard-headedness and... Yeah, I see that in in him, and it's like, ooh, that's what I look like. (laughs) Thanks, Jeremy and Todd. Be sure to check out the show notes to get the social media handles that Jeremy shared and the foundation that Todd referenced, Operation Enduring Support. Stay tuned for demerits and gold stars. It's officially the fall podcast season, and I've got a number of episodes still to come this year. I am busy scheduling interviews, editing, and recording. I'm also seeking sponsors for this space and for the pre-roll ads at the top of the show. So if your target market is Texas wine professionals or enthusiastic wine consumers or just plain old Texans, we should talk. Find out how to put podcast advertising to work for you. If you found value from this podcast, I invite you to consider supporting the podcast with a donation. You can do that on the website, thisistexaswine.com, and then click support the podcast. Now it's time for demerits and gold stars. A big gold star to Texas grape growers and winemakers who are waiting ever so patiently for the grapes still on the vine in the high plains and points further west to finish ripening. Harvest has started out there but there's still more flavor development that needs to happen before the rest of the grapes are harvested. Here's what winemaker Ben Calais said. I know everyone thinks those high temps have led to fast forwarding, but it's the opposite. We've barely picked any reds. Newsom Syrah will come off on September the 4th. Half of our whites are still hanging. He says we're on a normal pre-2015 pace. That a really cool spring put us behind, but the jump to really high temps slowed things down. He says that any hours above 95, roughly, will induce a stall. That's what Ben said on September the 1st. 
And now for a demerit. I'm giving a demerit to ChatGPT for not having up-to-date Texas wine information. I recently asked ChatGPT, who are the best winemakers in Texas? And ChatGPT gave me a list that included Brie Boskov, Master of Wine, who's awesome. But she's not the winemaker at Lost Draw Cellars. And she doesn't have anything to do with Texas wine as far as I know. The list also had Neil Newsom, who's very important in Texas wine, but he's a grower and not a winemaker. But it did have a few things right. The list generated these names, Kim McPherson, David Culkin, Ray Wilson, Paul Bonarigo, and Sergio Quadra. And those indeed are great Texas winemakers. ChatGPT also couldn't even find This Is Texas Wine podcast, saying that it must be new since September 2021, but nope, it launched in June of 2020. It was crazy to see how quickly ChatGPT formulated a long article about Texas wine, even though some of it was inaccurate. I almost retracted this demerit because a certain winery owner that I spent time with yesterday, who's an AI expert, encouraged me to give it a little time to use the paid version and to formulate my questions a bit differently. And we also brainstormed some ideas about using AI to create my podcast show notes and outlines for my podcast. So I'm going to revisit this demerit soon, and I hope that ChatGPT can increase my productivity. So stay tuned on that. Well, that's it for this episode. I'll be back in two weeks with an interview with Jackie of Atlas Vineyard Management. Until then, you can get in touch. You can send your feedback, questions, or ideas for future episodes to texaswinepod at gmail.com. And I hope to see some of you at the North Texas Wineries Forum next week in Burleson. I'll be on a panel with a couple of other Texas wine podcasters. Finally, thanks to Texas Wine Lover website for promotional assistance. Check out txwinelover.com and download the app to help plan your next trip to a Texas winery. Thanks for listening. Cheers, y'all.